by and large, this is run as an industry by fraud rings around the world, and they have a playbook, and it's a very successful playbook. Introducing The Protectors, inside criminal minds from around the world. Presented by the IAFCI, leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts, International President Mark Solomon and Chairman of the Board Michael Carroll. Hello everybody, this is Mike Carroll, International Chairman of the International Association of Financial Crimes Investigators. Welcome. I am with Mark Solomon, our international president. Mark, how are you doing today? I am not starting 2024 off uh, well. I got a real nasty cold to ring in the new year, but we're going to put our producers to the test here, and I'll have to take away all my sniffles during the show. So, But other than that, I'm doing great, Mike. Glad to be back. Another year of the Protectors Podcast. Hey, Mark, speaking of 2024, I'm thinking of a new segment uh, scam of the week. I've gotten a couple calls from uh, friends and uh, neighbors that uh, got caught up in a, a work-at-home scam where they applied for a job and then they were sent the check for $5,000 telling them to buy this, buy that, you need to get this. And they did, and they shipped it out, and then the check comes back no good. Yeah, That's a popular one. Ada Mark, it's big out there. It is, it is. And and especially, you know, in a post-COVID world here where, you know, a lot of people are looking for jobs, looking to work from home. So uh, it can entice people to, you know, be targeted. This is what we're all about, Mike. We're, we're about educating the public, sharing information. So hopefully they don't become a victim of these crimes. So the more you educate, and our next speaker is going to talk a lot about that, but that's what we need to do. And that's why we're here. You're absolutely right. We do have a great speaker coming on right now. Why don't you introduce her? All right. She is no stranger to Mike and I in the IFCI. Our next guest is a nationally recognized leader in the consumer fraud arena. As director of fraud prevention programs with AARP, she leads AARP's social mission work to educate older adults and the risk that fraud represents to their financial security. Since taking the helm of AARP Fraud Watch Network in 2019, she and her team have vastly expanded AARP's leadership, including the creation of a new victim support program, a multi-year campaign to end the use of gift cards and fraud, and the formation of a national effort to fundamentally transform how our country addresses consumer fraud. She is also a valued member of the IFCI and is an advisor for our organization. Without further ado, we would like to welcome to the show, Kathy Stokes. Oh, thank you, both of you. I'm so glad to be meeting you right at the beginning of the year. Happy New Year to you. I'm looking forward to working with you this year. Kathy, it's great having you on as a guest. And uh, Mark is right. You are an important member of the International Association of Financial Crimes Investigators as an advisor and your great input into the organization. So we really, really appreciate that. Hey, Kathy, can I ask you, you've been on before. We loved having you on. That's why we're asking you back. And you have so much knowledge about what's going on in all fraud and scams with the AARP. But, Kathy, let me ask you this. How did you get involved with AARP? When did you become uh, part of that organization? Well, I have uh, sort of a uh, a narrative that sort of explains it, but it wasn't planned. <laughs> but uh, back early in my career, I was involved in um, government affairs and public policy and really got into the issue of uh, pension plans, for goodness sake, 
and uh, turned that passion um, back in like 93 into some work that I did in public policy, but then also working with one of the big four accounting firms to run education programs for our big tax and audit clients for their employees to help them understand how to save with a 401k plan and how how to rely on the defined benefit plan, all this kind of stuff. That rolled into my doing my own business uh, for 10 years. AARP was one of my clients. A lot of it was about retirement education. I ended up uh, joining AARP in 2016 and uh, began as an interim lead of this Fraud Watch Network in 2016. And and I think the or 2018. I think the the narrative here is that I spent a lot of time early in my career working on issues with and talking to employees about how to plan and save for retirement. And here I am now talking to those now retired <laughs> workers about how to protect their assets from this growing epidemic of fraud. And Kathy, when you think of the AARP, uh, some people might think that's an organization for older adults, but that's not true, correct? Well, we do focus on the 50 plus. You do not have to be 50 plus to take advantage of the many things that AARP offers to everyone. Uh, Yes, everyone knows about the discounts. I would hope everybody knows about all of the advocacy work we do at the federal and state government levels. Um, But we also have a ton of work that we do in social mission, including the AARP Fraud Watch Network. And you don't have to be a member to take advantage of it. Uh, You don't have to be of a certain age. Yeah, and Kathy, I'm glad you you focused on the Fraud Watch Network. And for our audience that maybe hasn't heard of it, which I'd be shocked, everybody knows uh, AARP Fraud Watch Network. But can you tell everybody a little bit more about the Fraud Watch Network and the services it provides to the public? Absolutely. So our major two focus areas are education, getting out in front of as many people across the country, across many, many different channels. Um, We have 53 state offices around the country. All of them have trained volunteer fraud fighters that go out into community with people who I now know through Mike and Mark at IAFCI, members there, to help give us the legitimacy to be in front of in-person community events talking about fraud prevention. And we we have a bunch of national events. We have the aarp.org slash Fraud Watch Network page, which has just tons of really great information for consumers on, on how to spot and avoid fraud. But importantly, we also focus on supporting victims who've experienced fraud. Um, we've had um, a longstanding Fraud Watch Network helpline where you can call. You don't have to be a member or of a certain age. If you're not sure about something, if you want to report something, we send that on to the Federal Trade Commission. And importantly, if you or a loved one has become a victim of fraud, we um, are able to walk you through it, help you understand that you're not alone, it's not your fault, and to the degree that there are um, steps to take following, we, uh, we we guide people on that. And then we have this online small group victim support program as well that we launched a couple, three years ago that helps people, again, understand that it's not their fault. They're not idiots. Yeah. <laughs> you know, these are sophisticated transnational criminal networks that are uh, intentionally targeting them, and they're not alone. Yeah, Kathy, and you know, you're you're segueing right into a, a perfect topic that we want to talk about. But I do want to give a real quick shout out 
Your volunteers at AARP Fraud Watch Network are absolutely incredible. I got to be introduced to your organization years ago through the IFCI and the Connecticut chapter. And man, I just love the passion of your volunteers, of the entire uh, program that you put on. And like I said, to hear it from older adults working with law enforcement to spread the message. You know, I, I just love that army that you have behind AARP Fraud Watch Network. So I had to give a quick shout out for, for your for your teammates. Yeah, Mark, I got to go with that, too, because Kathy, you know, being with the International Association of Financial Crime Investigators, we have over 39 chapters and a lot of them have uh, seminars or training and you're, the AARP is always available to come out and talk not only about the AARP, but about education, educating our members. So we we really appreciate that. A personal experience here in Chicago about maybe five years ago, ARP had a uh, shredder day out at Northern Illinois University. And uh, that's one of many things that ARP does. And uh, I remember that because they asked me to come out and I told them I was a little busy, but then they said they were going to have donuts. So I, I was like the first one there. <laughs> oh, come and, on. <laughs> and uh, But yeah, it was they, you do so much. And then I, I did a presentation here in Chicago, and I contacted the local ARP rep, and they were there. They were there to speak. So yeah. you, I know you do a lot. We appreciate that. Well, you know, guys, we love our volunteers. AARP runs on volunteers. We have fraud volunteers. We have volunteers out in community teaching people safe driving over 50 so they can get discounts on their insurance. We have volunteers showing up at the state capitals and and the federal capital, too. I think we have somewhere around 40,000 volunteers that work with AARP. And so, you know, let us know if you want to work with a state office, if you want to volunteer for our Fraud Watch Network helpline, uh, we'll we'll put some information uh, with this podcast edition so that you can uh, reach out to us. Absolutely. Thank you, Kathy. And, you know, I want to jump right into what you were talking about a few minutes ago and is talking about victim blaming. And these type of crimes, um, unfortunately, there is a lot of guilt that sometimes people can put on the victim, and it's not fair. Um, People are targeted by crimes, whether it's a a violent crime, it's a financial crime. You know, they didn't ask for this. They didn't want it. They were targeted by a bad person. So can you talk a little bit about your efforts and AARPs to stop the use of improper language and words that might insinuate that, you know, the victim was at fault? Yeah, sure. It was back in, I think, 2021 that we started looking at some big things that we wanted to accomplish. If we could, what would we do? And one of them was really kind of do a deep dive into the way we talk about fraud victimization. Our helpline now takes over 100,000 calls a year. So we hear a lot from victims and from family members and a whole other uh, realm of, of resources that we have that really suggest strongly that we do tend to blame victims with the language we use. So we did a research project on it with FINRA Investor Education Foundation. Uh, we produced a paper, I believe it was last year, actually 2022. Um, and it's basically saying, yeah, we have as a society for a very long time used language that suggests that it's something the victim didn't know or the victim didn't do that caused their victimization. And so it's at every level of our society and it's really well ingrained, but we can take a page from previous uh, social change narratives, if you will, like um, mental health. 
You know, there's so much more understanding about mental health issues now because of a narrative change campaign to help people understand everything that's involved there. You know, in the 80s, when I was coming up, when someone um, experienced a rape crime, the first couple of questions someone might ask were, well, where, why were you out alone at night? Or what were you wearing? And we don't do that anymore. And I think right. we have an opportunity to change it societally here, too, because we did learn through that research that we blame with our words, but we don't really mean it. We don't. And we can learn to, instead of saying that somebody got scammed or duped, how about somebody had their life savings stolen from them? Right. So we have uh, a bunch of material that we have available and that we're going to add to on aarp.org slash words matter. Kathy, you know, I also want to bring up, too, is, you know, when people are targeted, these individuals that are targeting victims, these are very professional, sophisticated, sometimes very sophisticated individuals. You know, they could buy apps and programs to disguise their voice, have a phone number show up in your caller ID, use technology. But what I find is it's like almost a a theatrical performance, and they are well-versed, well-trained on how to do this, how to hit the the heartstrings of people that are good people. Can you tell us a little bit more why not only older adults, but everybody who has fallen victim to a, a fraud or a scam, you know, why does it happen? You know, so many people on the sidelines can look at the fraud experience and, like, shake their head and go, like, how could they not know this was a scam, you know? And that leads to, you know, this assumption there's something wrong with that person. And unfortunately, an assumption that if it's an older person, then they are in cognitive decline. And that couldn't be further from the truth for so many of these cases. Um, It's because it's transnational criminal enterprise driven by and large. Of course, there's you know, the individual scammer here and there, but by and large, this is run as an industry by fraud rings around the world, and they have a playbook, and it's a very successful playbook, and it's to get that target into a heightened emotional state as soon as they possibly can, because they know that when we are in a heightened emotional state, panic, fear, excitement, that we have a hard time backing out of that to access logical thinking. It's simple brain physiology. There's nothing wrong with the person that they're that they're targeting. In fact, that person has been intentionally targeted. Um, they showed up on a lead list on the dark web that was purchased. They have lots of information about that person. And all they need to do is get them from the start to react emotionally, and then the scammer wins. Mm. Well, saying that, uh, Kathy, I guess, uh, you know, we need to come up with a playbook. And uh, I think I've learned uh, that uh, AARP is coming up with something for 2024, some type of research on a possible national campaign on fraud prevention. Yeah, this is one thing I'm I'm really excited about. Um, It was toward the end of last year, and I I was talking with a bunch of different colleagues from a bunch of different organizations. And it kind of hit me that you know, we have all of this talk of red flags. You know, this is this is a sign it's a scam. This is a sign it's a scam. If you add all those up, there's like a thousand of them, right? So it's not an easy message um, it, because it's specific to the scam. But 
I've come to believe, and we're going to bear this out with research, that there are probably three basic elements to probably 80-85% of all fraud attacks. And that is a communication from out of the blue that puts you into a heightened emotional state and contains urgency. And I think if we came up with a way, and we're going to try to do that this year with a, with a bunch of colleagues around the country, even around the world, if we could come up with a way to communicate that in a way that helps that person break out of that emotional reaction, then we've got a shot at, at doing a lot more um, in protecting people. I don't know if you guys remember, I know I think I was in second grade when um, I learned what to do if my shirt catches on fire or my pant leg catches on fire. Do you remember that? I do. I do. It was stop, drop, and roll, right? Stop, drop, and roll. That's right. Absolutely. Stop, drop, and, not, and roll. I, not, we, not I thought there was something nuclear. <laughs> no, that was hide under your desk, I think. Oh. Uh, but uh, And Kathy, not to stray here, but you're going to laugh. Uh, years ago, I tried to quit smoking, and uh, I had a pack of um, matches in my pocket, and I accidentally, they got caught with my key and a string in my pocket and my pants literally did catch on fire so uh, i probably shouldn't have shared that with the audience but but i stopped dropped and rolled i stopped dropped and rolled right in the park in the parking lot people were looking at me very funny and why my pants were smoking but um it was ingrained in my head at an early age and i knew what to do you know it's so important mark that you shared that because it does prove that if we have the yeah. right words and the right campaign, we can get a person out of that heightened emotional state. How scary it must be for a kid and adult when their clothes catch on fire. But somehow with stop, stop, and roll, we're able to get that person from that, oh my God, what's happening to, oh, I know what to do. So we can do that with fraud. Hey, Kathy, can I throw one more? And I mentioned this in a prior podcast, you know, when we were young, we were told not to talk to strangers. That was a big one. And now it's reverse. We have to tell older adults, you know, don't talk to strangers. No, you know, know who you're talking I mean, to. I mean, like, we all are in this horrible situation where we cannot trust any communication coming our way. It's not our fault. This is the this is the state of our society where you cannot trust a text message. You cannot trust an email. You cannot trust a phone call. You cannot trust someone hitting you up on Facebook wanting to be friends. That is just the reality right. of it. And it's not age specific. As a matter of fact, federal data anyway show that more younger adults experience fraud losses over older adults. It's just that when that older adult is the victim, they tend to lose so much more money, right? Which stands to reason they're older, they've probably saved for retirement, they may have housing wealth, they at least have a social security check coming in. Um, so it, it, it is an all of society problem. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and it's not about age. The trends that we're seeing, they're targeting younger uh, adults, teenagers, you know, people in their 40s, uh, as well as older adults. So, I mean, you know, what I love about this show is, you know, we're talking with you, Kathy, from AARP, but this applies to everybody. And I want to go back and talk about something. We talked about financial losses, but there is so much more when it happens to an older adult, especially somebody who is retired. You know, losing that money is like almost, you know, they're losing so much more. 
Um, and for a, a person that's still in the workforce, they could just, you know, work a, a few more years or, you know, make that money back somehow. But when you're, when you're retired and don't, or, you know, whether you're unable to work or you, you don't have employment and that money is stolen from you, it has such an incredible impact on that person. I don't know if you could explain some of the emotional things and um, what it does to these people, uh, to their health. Yeah, we we speak to so many victims every year, and to a one, they would say, you know, um, the financial impact is is horrible. I mean, for some, they can't recover financially uh, without some help, but it's more the emotional impact, um, and and that could be for several reasons. One is just the utter embarrassment and shame that we have sort of allowed people to feel about this crime as victims. Another thing that we're going to do in 2024 at AARP is work with Duke University, um, who a professor there and some of his grad students are going to attempt to create an academic model that gets to a floor of fraud losses in this country. And I'll explain why for that in a minute. But they're not just looking at the financial implication. They are also looking at the emotional and health harm that comes with fraud victimization. It will be a first-of-its-kind piece of research. We need the numbers because we don't know really how bad fraud is because of underreporting, largely because of shame. And when you look at Federal Trade Commission data, sort of the agency of record on fraud losses, they would say in 2022, there were $9 billion in losses, and that's a huge number. But that could be somewhere around only 2 to 5% of all fraud based on some economists at the FTC doing a a data dive on it. Two to 5%. Wow. So we're not even touching the surface of the true number. Yeah, that's scary. And how do you get the attention of public policymakers when you can't tell them how bad the problem is? You know, they're starting to pay more attention now probably because there are more and more victims every year and those victims are contacting their offices to see what they can do to help them. But if you say, well, it could be a $3 billion problem or a $9 billion problem, or, and they'll be like, yeah, we'll come back to me when you really have a sense of the problem. Hopefully this project will get us there. Yeah, Kathy, when you talk about emotional, because an older adult who's a victim of a scam loses a lot of money and that money might have been left for other family members and then they become upset and now their uh, family members are, you know, going against each other because, you know, the emotional toll of getting caught up in a scam like this. I was going to ask you what you said before about these fraudsters being good at communicating and the sense of urgency that the fraudster uses. And what comes to mind to me is one of these scams that I I don't like at all. I, I don't like any of them, but this one just hits me in the heart is the grandchild in trouble scam. You know, grandson's in trouble, you need to send money, and uh, we get a lot of alerts here in the Chicago area from different law enforcement agencies, and uh, unfortunately, uh, older adults are still falling for this scam, and that, that that's such a tough one. Well, a um, couple things on nomenclature there, Mike. Um, I don't call them fraudsters, I call them criminals, or perpetrators, or okay. predators, because that's what they are. And I would also say that, you know, they're not falling for something. They're being socially engineered to believe something that isn't true. And if we can sort of apply that at large to every victim, you know, they didn't fall for something, they didn't get duped, 
they were manipulated by masters of the craft. And the grandparent scam is terrible. And so is a romance fraud. Anything that involves um, sort of the development or focus on uh, an existing relationship is just so devastating. And you're right, um, Mike, we see people who immediately go to like the older adult child of an older victim going like, I can't believe she fell for this. And she, you know, I can't get through to her and she's not stopping and they get really mad. But what we want to try to get them to do is come from uh, a place of understanding of what happened. Mom isn't losing it. Mom isn't making a stupid decision. Mom's trying to get your son out of prison. <laughs> you know, so right, if you try right. to help people understand what the intent is of the victim, then maybe that will help. And Kathy, you know, one of the things that distress too is, you know, these criminals, they're targeting older adults because they are, are good, caring people. Um, older adults uh, tend to be more active in the community. They tend to be more giving to charities and organizations and volunteering their times. And family is so important to older adults. So, you know, you're right. It's not because they're not being targeted for their weaknesses. They're being targeted because of their strengths. That, that's how I, I've seen it, you know, in my career in law enforcement is that they're being targeted because they're actually good people that want to help and do good, and they take advantage of that and target them. I would submit that all criminals target people who potentially can get them to money or or sensitive information regardless. Everybody's a good person uh, underneath that, right? And the reason older adults are targeted... (laughs) Yeah, well, um, the reason older adults are targeted is because there's a presumption of money. Um, It's, you know... Some scam approaches work better with older adults versus younger adults. Absolutely. Like the grandparent scam, you know, Uh, if you don't have a grandkid, you're not old enough to have a grandkid. It's not going to happen to you. But boy, have me tell to uh, former law enforcement officials that everybody's good. I probably want to take that back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't want to give the criminals uh, call them good. But but yeah, generally, (laughs) yeah, you're right. Uh, A lot of people are kind hearted. And you just probably explained why I will never be targeted by a fraud because I have a a child in college and one in high school. I'm flat broke. So if there's any fraudsters thinking about targeting me, I have nothing to give you. Uh, Maybe in a few years after they're out of college, uh, you know, then then that would be the best time to come after me, I guess. (laughs) We'll let them know, Mark. All right. Hey, Kathy, can I ask you, you know, I was with the U.S. Postal Inspection Service back helping out as an analyst and, uh, I have worked some uh, mail fraud cases related to fraud uh, and uh, older adult fraud. Do you think that down the road, I know we coordinate with um, FTC, Federal Trade Commission, through the Consumer Sentinel, we share complaints. And uh, But what about like all federal organizations like maybe the FBI, Secret Service, along with AARP and FTC and Postal all getting together and maybe coordinating more because unfortunately, the more complaints you get about a criminal or a certain business, the more chances that a prosecutor would take that case. Yeah, and you know, the crazy thing is we have this massive problem with underreporting. But even with underreporting, law enforcement is overwhelmed with reports. And unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever the case, they have thresholds. They have to meet. So a $10,000 grandparent scam case is not going to get 
attention simply because there's just way too much that would have to go into it. And there's a broad presumption that that money's gone and it's, you know, out of the country and all that kind of stuff. But what if there was an ability to take that case, that $10,000 grandparent scam case, and connect it to cases that are the same all around the country? If you have that, then you have threshold killers, right? You've got multi-million dollar investigative packages. We can't ask federal authorities to do this on their own. Our local law enforcement, they just don't have the resources. But I think we can see that a sort of a nonprofit could come together where it would be public supported and privately supported. And, you know, the uh, the banks and the retailers and whatnot of the world would share data on what they know about fraud. And analysts would be able to pull those cases together, do the hard work of the start of that investigation, and then hand it off to the Department of Justice, who would then assign it to U.S. Postal or to FBI or to Secret Service or to whomever's most equipped to go after these criminals that are on the ground here in the United States supporting the transnational gangs. Kathy, it sounds like you've given a lot of thought about this. And uh, are you are you hinting are you hinting at something uh, potentially down the road? Can we get the scoop? Well, I, yeah. Let me tell you that um, a lot of people have been giving a lot of thought to this and uh, coming together, sort of here and there across industry, across uh, law enforcement, to talk about is there a way we can do this? And I believe that sometime uh, in the first half of this year we will see an effort to create something like this and to take those cases and build big packages out of them and to uh, present them for investigation and prosecution. Uh, That sounds incredible. I hope that, that, and I know this has been a a vision of yours for a number of years. And you know what, when Kathy Stokes uh, has something on her mind uh, to accomplish, she's going to get it done. So I look forward (laughs) to this project uh, taking off in 2024. And uh, Kathy, I got to give you kudos, not only with AARP, but with IAFCI. One of your volunteers received a call from uh, a lady who was a victim of a scam, possible romance scam, and uh, you referred it to law enforcement and uh, through the IFCI. They were using our letterhead to show that they had money in their account, and uh, we followed up with it. We reached out to law enforcement in that area. They reached out to that person, and uh, they got an ongoing investigation going right now, and that's just by one of your volunteers taking a phone call and sharing that information. I love that. I know this whole sphere is so much more than education. We cannot educate our way out of the fraud crisis. It's going to take a whole of society approach. I'm so grateful to have been involved since, what, 2018, 2019, Mark, with IAFCI to learn as much as I have from your membership of law enforcement and prosecutors and private investigators to understand what really we need to do to come together as a country and do something meaningful. And Kathy, it has been such a a blessing for us as well here. It's a great partnership and we're not going to be able to arrest our way out of these cases either. You know, some of these fraudsters are overseas and in countries that we don't have a relationship with. So the more we can educate, the more we can bring awareness to the community. And like I said, it's a group effort. It's not law enforcement. It's not 
just AARP. It's not just the Federal Trade Commission. It's retailers, financial institutions. Everybody plays a part in this. And, and that's how we're going to truly turn back this tidal wave of, of fraud that's uh, occurring right now. So um, I want to bring up a, a different topic. And we're talking about language and words. And there's a terminology that's gone around uh, over the last couple of years to describe a particular scam, and it's called pig butchering. I don't know if you want to explain to our audience that scam, uh, how it's perpetrated, but then also maybe we could talk a little bit about the language of that scam itself. Yeah, I'm so glad you talked about that, Mark. Uh, I'd love to. Um, so this is a scam that began, I guess, in Southeast Asia maybe a couple of years ago, and it's just really caught fire. And unfortunately, there are two victim types. The first is people who are lured into um, believing that they have job opportunities and go to, in, in the original case, go to Cambodia. And it turns out that it was a big lie and they are enslaved and they are forced to be the frontline um, criminals to attack uh, potential victims. And so, you know, 16 hours a day, probably more, they're being forced to make phone calls, uh, make connections on text, make connections on social media to uh, to bring opportunity to the higher-ups in this criminal organization, and their families are threatened, and they are beaten, and it's this horrible, horrible thing. Um, they term it, uh, the Asian term for this crime equates to um, English pig butchering, and it's about fattening the pig and bringing the pig to slaughter. And that has... Right even though that was the criminal, right? The criminal mind that came up with that. We have all these folks in the United States talking about it and using that term. If you were a victim of this and someone said to you, oh yeah, yeah, you're a victim of pig butchering. How horrible would that feel? And if I'm a victim and I realize it, I'm not going to report it to anybody. I'm not going to tell anybody. It's such a horrible term. I get why people use it because it gets attention um, and we need attention on this because these criminal operations are are targeting people all over the world, but many in the United States. So the end victim in the United States is losing um, uh, generational wealth to what ends up being like crypto investment scams that start out with, you know, a, a text message saying, hey, uh, Dr. Smith, my bunny's really sick. Can I bring her in? And the person receiving that going, oh, poor bunny. I'm sorry, you don't have the right number. I'm not Dr. Smith. That is all it takes to begin a conversation that begins a relationship that builds trust, that becomes a, hey, you know, I've made all this money investing in gold futures or cryptocurrency, and I can show you too. That's how this works. And those people are made to believe that they're actually investing and they're not, and they lose everything. So the term itself comes from the criminals and myself and a bunch of people on LinkedIn, John Bridge from Trust Stamp included, hey to John, are trying to get people to realize the pain that it causes to use that term. And could we say something like financial grooming or, you know, pick your term, but let's not call victims pigs. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. You know, I just uh, let you know, my son got a text from somebody that said, uh, looking forward to see you at the wedding tomorrow. And um, he said, uh, I'm sorry, you got the wrong person. And then tried to start a conversation with him about how you're doing. You know, I'm sorry to bother you. What's your name? And I'm sure it was related to this 
financial grooming. But he he knew because yeah. he knew his dad was working frauds and scams his whole life. So he he just uh, stopped communicating. Yeah, that's what you got to do. Yeah, and what's you know interesting too, Kathy? You bring up a point. You know, most of the time these scams are about, like you said, putting you in a heightened tension. Either it's good fortune or very bad fortune. You know, a, a family member's ill or in an accident or arrested. But when it comes to these type of crimes and, and romance scams and investment scams, the criminal takes their time. Uh, you know, um, yes. you know they will devote a lot of time. So instead of getting your emotions up, they're actually sort of trying to make you feel comfortable, build a rapport. So you know these frauds and scams can happen with different tactics. So, you know, one size doesn't fit all and one tactic is not going to, or one red flag is not going to protect you against all those types of frauds and scams. Exactly. And what I was talking about before with this hoped for national campaign, it would cover maybe 80, 85% of scam tactics. I don't think it would touch the scams like what we're talking about here that are are built on developing relationships with a potential victim over time. That's uh, it takes a whole another set of uh, interventions. So, Kathy, let me ask you: If somebody wanted to be a volunteer for ARP, what would be the best way they could go about it? Should they go onto the website? You know, the, I think probably the best way to go is to reach out to the state office where okay. you live. And I think you can just go to um, states.aarp.org, find your state, and look up opportunities to reach out to, to see if you can volunteer. Um, if you are interested in volunteering for the for the National Fraud Watch Network team as a trained specialist on our helpline, we have opportunities there too. And you can just send us an email at fwn, which stands for Fraud Watch Network, at aarp.org and we'll get you in touch with the victim support folks awesome and we'll get those on our show notes uh for our listeners and uh and kathy in closing here uh i'd love to talk to you for the next three hours uh because i just love your passion for what you're doing and your vision for the future but i want to ask you um is there one message you can give to that person that might be listening right now that was targeted by one of these crimes? Is there anything that we can say to them or you could say to them that will make them come forward? Like I said, this crime is so underreported, it's insane. And a lot of it is fear. A lot of it's embarrassment. But is there anything we can tell that person that's listening right now to to go and report this crime? And, you know, what can they do? How can they start that process? Yeah, I mean, first, I think we have to uh, appeal with um, with grace and say, I am so sorry this happened to you. You are a victim of a crime, a crime that is rampant. You're not alone. It's not your fault. Please report it. Report it to law enforcement. Sometimes you'll get someone who's not like a financial crimes investigator that answers the line and says they can't help you. I would say, right. you know, persist. Say, just let me file a report. Uh, who knows? In three or five years, maybe your state is going to create a victim restitution fund. And how are you going to prove that you were a victim if you don't have the police report? So I would say it's definitely important to report to law enforcement. But I also want to say to anybody else out there, uh, target or not, Share what you know. 
you know, uh, data show that if you know about a specific scam, you are 80% less likely to engage with it. So that's the calling card uh, for talking more yeah. about fraud. When you, If you learn something new today, share it with you know, your entire community of people online, offline, next door neighbor, grandma, because the more we know, the more we're protected. Yeah, Kathy, just to go along with what you're saying with um, law enforcement, we would tell them that somebody reports uh, got caught up in some type of fraud and uh, they're going to bring their parent in to talk to the, to the police. We always say, go to the residence, go there and see what's there. You know, there might be a table with mail and Western Union receipts and a whole, a whole bunch of other fraud related material. So we always recommend to go to the house and interview them then. And that's why we need more Mike Carrolls in the world. You understand what needs to be done and that there's a fact pattern. There's always going to be some something that's going to be able to take you to the next step in a potential investigation. Why, thank you, Kathy. Well, for the record, I'm totally against having more than one Mike Carroll. Uh, I think one's enough. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I hear you, Mike. And Kathy, if there's a shredding day here in Illinois, I will go, regardless if there's donuts or not, I will be there. <laughs> All right. Sounds like we've got to set something up in Illinois, right? Sounds like a plan. So, Kathy, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on again. And thank you, AARP, for the partnership with the IFCI and then your willingness to share this message. And you do incredible things. I know you're going to continue to do incredible things for our citizens here in the U.S. So thank you. God bless you. And uh, we're going to be seeing you in February, I think, at our next uh, IFCI board meeting, right? That's right. I'll see you next month in Oklahoma. All right. Nice. And Kathy, just like Mark said, man, you are a special person. So thank you for much for what you do to protect our citizens. We really appreciate that. Well, uh, it takes a village, and I'm uh, eternally grateful to continue to be a part of the IAFCI family on the Advisory Council, so thank you. All right. Well, Mike, what a way to start off 2024. Our first couple of episodes here in 2024 uh, really hit home. Uh, I know our listeners are going to get some great information out of our experts that came onto the show. And, and again, Kathy Stokes, I can't say enough. If there's a fan club, I'm, I'm joining it. And uh, and I actually joined the ARP last, uh, last year. So I've been a volunteer for a number of years, but I finally joined the ARP too. So I'm looking for some uh, cool discounts as I get older. So <laughs> it's great. Hey, Mark, I love the ARP because, uh, you know, I work for the Postal Service and uh, they use the post office a lot. We get a lot of mailings from ARP, so I got to thank them for that. All right. Job security. I got there it. You go. I got it. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, to our listeners out there, like I said, share this message. Get it out because there's information in here that could help somebody who is a victim of a crime, somebody who might be targeted. And by sharing this information, you might prevent a crime from happening. So share that info. Hey, Mike, where can our listeners find the podcast? Well, if they want to subscribe to the podcast, they could go to any major podcast outlet like uh, Spotify or iTunes. Google. Google, too. Don't Another forget one. Google. Um, yep. Or go to protectorspodcast.com. You can listen to all our prior episodes. What do we, Mark, what are we up to? About 57 episodes? I think we're, yeah, I've I lost know, track. I know that. 
I can't wait till we get to 100. But like I said, uh, we thank you all for supporting it. If you're looking about and want to hear about a particular topic or maybe you're a subject matter expert, want to come on the podcast, please shoot us an email. And the email address is IAFCI Protectors Podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and feedback about the podcast. So shoot us an email and we'll respond back. Like you mentioned, Mark, and learn more about today's episode with uh, Kathy Stokes. We're going to put everything in the show notes, how to get a hold of ARP. Yes, absolutely. If you want to be a volunteer, that's all going to be out there for our, for our listeners. And the hotline number. So like I said, if, if you need assistance or you think you might be a victim of a crime, you know, you can reach out to them and they have experts that answer the phone and they're there 24 hours to help you out and, uh, you know, give you some great advice and, and, and get you to the right authorities to have the matter investigated. So, all right, Mike, that's it for me. I'm, I'm going to sign off. I'm Mark Solomon, international president of the IFCI, and I'm signing off from Connecticut. And this is Mike Carroll, International Chairman. We'll see you again. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. To learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guests' opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers, or sponsors. Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.